Well, it's good to be here again. This is week number four out of six weeks that I'll be teaching uh, class. Um, and for the past three weeks, we've been doing a lot of deconstructing, um, talking about all the bad things, all the bad ways to do things. From here on out, hopefully, it'll be a little bit more positive, talking more about like what we can do right and how we can um, effectively serve the poor in our communities and in the different ministries uh, locally or abroad that we're a part of. Um, I know some of you have been here every week. Some of you have been here some weeks. Some have missed one week or, you know. So I'm going to do a quick kind of summary of, you know, where we've gotten to thus far. Um, so in the first week, we talked about the, the difference between poverty as um, defined by a lack of material things or goods or whatever, stuff, and poverty of relationships. So we're working from the assumption or the understanding that uh, a theological con construct that, that poverty, um, theologically speaking, is all about broken relationships. So broken relationships with God, broken relationships with ourselves, our understandings of ourselves, uh, the, um, in many cases, not understanding that we are created in the image of God, that we have inherent value and worth, or the opposite, thinking that we are all that and we have all the answers to everything. Uh, broken relationship with others, broken relationship with creation, but the main, the main issue when we're talking about dealing with poverty um, manifests itself in this broken relationship with self. It's how we view ourselves and how others who we are trying to help view themselves. Um, and that's where we talked about on the second week. Um, so when you have a material definition of poverty, the understanding or the, the perspective that poverty is a lack of something, you add that to the God complexes of the materially non-poor, that's us, people who have stuff, we think we have all the answers, we have all the, you know, all we have to do is, you know, throw more money at it or, you know, more education, like the answer is there, we can fix this. Um, you add that to the feelings of inferiority or the downtrodden, the, um, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, well, I can't think of it, but the just the idea that people um, in the first week we talked about there was a a survey done of about a hundred countries. I think it was about sixty thousand people in poverty, and the way they describe poverty, and in most cases they didn't describe it in terms of material a lack of things. It was more about a lack of respect, a lack of dignity, that's the word I was looking for, um, a lack of um, just f 
feeling good about, you know, can do I have control of the world, the environment around me? People in poverty feel like they are, they don't have control, that other people are controlling them. So then when you add these three things together, so we come in and we tell, they, they say we don't have the answers, we don't have the, the resources, and then we come and say, oh, well, we have the answers. We have the resources. That creates an, that, that equation creates something that can be harmful both to those who are materially poor and harmful to us because it reinforces in us that we can fix everything, the white savior complex. It reinforces in them that they need someone to fix them. Um, that was the second week. And then last week, we talked about the concepts of relief, rehabilitation, and development. So this little diagram um, represents, you know, just a person at any stage in life. Something happens. Uh, Hurricane Katrina happens, and all of a sudden their life is just uh, completely in shatters. Their home uh, floated a mile that way. Um, they, uh, whatever it might be, I mean, it might be relational, it might be a divorce, um, going bankrupt as a result of divorce. Any number of things can create a crisis in someone's life, in a community's life. Um, and the response to that crisis situation would be relief, okay? There's the, the Churches of Christ disaster relief. I'm sure most of us are somewhat familiar with. After Hurricane Katrina happened, um, down in Picayune, Mississippi, they came and they brought bottles of water, they brought all the things that we needed down there at that particular time. I worked with the Picayune Church of Christ for about six months after Katrina. And you know they, they came in and they brought relief. But at a certain point, relief is no longer what's needed. You need rehabilitation, getting back to where you were before. Um, but in actuality, most situations that we're looking at are more like this. There's not a crisis. There's not some sort of uh, life-changing event that has caused people to go down into extreme poverty. But what happens is we go into a community, we go into a country, and we see something that's so vastly different from what we're used to, it looks like a crisis to us. And so our response, oftentimes, is a crisis response, which is relief. And relief is not what they need. What they need is for us to walk hand, hand in hand with them in the process of development. But what happens is relief oftentimes undermines any sort of development efforts that you might be trying to do. So over the past three weeks, that's kind of a summary of, um, of what we've been looking at. Um, today, quickly, I want to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12. If you have a Bible, uh, you, you can turn to it. Um, but you don't have to. I, I kind of skip around a little bit there. Um, <laughs> you like my picture? Um, Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. I, I don't want this to be political. That's not why I'm asking. 
But we have uh, gone into Venezuela. And That's a really tried, good. Mm -hmm. Try to take uh, food and medical supplies. Yeah. And do you think that was properly? I mean, do you okay. think it's proper to do that? So. Politically, I, I don't know the situation well enough, but I, I can speak a little bit to that. Okay, so here we've been trying to send relief in what we perceive as a crisis situation. I think, I, I haven't studied it well enough, I think there really is a crisis going on. But who is it? Maduro? Is he the president? Yeah, so Maduro is basically wanting to deny that there is a crisis. And he's using a lot of the same language that we've been talking about in this class. He, he's talking about dignity, he's talking about respect, and basically by sending this aid, it's, it's undermining his, um, his perspective of the country that, you know, we don't need it, you know, everything is okay. You know, so it, it is a very political situation, and I, I, I really, I don't understand it well enough to be able to speak into it specifically, but those dynamics are going on. Um, his response, I think, is very um, insightful into, I think a lot of countries probably should have that response because they are not in a situation of just, you know, downward spiraling crisis. Uh, I, I get the impression that Venezuela kind of is. Mm -hmm. And so it's, yeah. But I, I don't know much more to say about it than that because I just, I don't know well enough. But um, we should ask that question. That's but but that, have, yeah, that's rather than just exactly yeah. right. And yeah. Contact them there and find yeah. out what's your need rather than right. just assuming it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so First Corinthians 12. I've got 4 through 7 and then 20 through 22, just because it says what I wanted to say and <coughs> stuff in the middle doesn't. <laughs> just kidding, uh, sort of. Um, so Paul says, there are different, different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distrib distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of spirit is given for the common good. <coughs> and then down in verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, but one, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I, do, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I'm trying to decide if I want to see if anyone knows where I'm going with this. What, why, why, why would I choose to read this passage right here, right now, in this context, in this class? Because everybody on your team has value, no matter what gift they have. Right. And when we look at poverty, we need to recognize the, the, the people that we're working with have value. They have something to offer. They have something to give. Okay, Paul here is talking about the church. And he's talking about spiritual gifts. I, I understand that. 
Um, and I'm not going to get into the, the theology of whether... I there, There's part of me that thinks that... Like, I wonder if God gives all of us... You know, the Spirit gives us all... Um, gifts, and we choose whether or not to quench um, the Spirit. And, you know, like, I think everyone has the capacity to allow the Spirit to... Um, you know, the now to each one the manifestation of spirit is given for the common good. So, the the spirit in us, you know, whether we are uh, talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when we, you know, are buried with Christ and you know receive the Holy Spirit, or whether we're just talking about the um, sort of the. God in us, in, in the sense that we are all created in the image of God. I think the same general rules apply here. I, I'm not enough of a theologian or Greek scholar to really say, but I, but I think what we can say is that all of us have something to offer. Paul's argument about you know the, the body and the parts and the eyes and the hands, yes, that applies in the context of the church. It also applies in many other contexts. Um, and I think God does equip us with different, with different gifts, different skills, different abilities, uh, different passions. And we can either choose to use that for God's glory or for our own gain. Um, and obviously we want to use that for God's glory. And that's so true when we go into a context of material poverty. That the people there, sometimes we may not recognize the gifts that they have because the first thing that we see is what they don't have, which is material. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, we'll go ahead and watch the video. Um, does anyone have any comments up to this point? We've got a few minutes. No? Okay. Let's just watch the video. And I hope this works. Yeah. If I can find the mouse. There we go. God-given ability 
to accomplish useful and productive things in this world. Whatever erodes that, whatever diminishes that, whatever takes away from that sense of dignity and purpose is against the will of God. Innovation is not the problem. People assuming that they're innovators is the problem. It's our attitude. It's our approach. It's our mindset. Rather than coming in and trying to establish ourselves as innovators in a situation, we go in and we seek, who are the innovators in the situation? Asking people to be the solution to their own problem, allowing them to innovate, that's what empowerment really is. That's real change. So that when we leave, we drive out of the dangerous neighborhood, we go to our homes elsewhere. Guess who stays? Guess who becomes a part of their own solution? There was real truth in the fact that God has given everybody inherent dignity and worth and value. And when you set up a situation where you forget that, where you feel like you're just a little bit better than them, or you're more knowledgeable than them, um, or because you're more educated than them, you have more answers than they have, then you are set up to fail you. You get the nice, polite nods, but you don't get transformation. You've heard people come back from trips and say, oh, those people, they have nothing. It's this assumption there's just a deficit of human resources, economic resources, knowledge resources in a person's life, in a family's life, in a community's life. And when you have that perspective, uh, this needs-based perspective, what tends to happen is you just quickly assume all oh, the solutions are going to have to come from the outside. The knowledge is going to come from the outside, the economic resources need to come from the outside. Um, all solutions are not based in the community, but from outside the community, and in you come. And that approach is going to intensify people's poverty of being and poverty of purpose, even as you're trying to overcome their poverty of condition, you know, their physical realities. Needs-based development focuses on the deficits and shortcomings in the life of a person or a community. Folks, let's remember what's going on here. We've got folks who are struggling with a sense of superiority and God complexes. That's us in the room today. And, and, and we're, we're trying to engage with, with materially poor people who typically are suffering from a marked self-image. Does it seem to you like a good starting point in that dynamic that we're trying to overcome, a good starting point to walk up to a materially poor person and say, what's wrong with you? How can I fix you? How are you broken? What do you need from me? Okay, it's not a good starting point to overcoming this dynamic. It starts off at exactly uh, the foot that we want to avoid. What needs-based development does is it assumes that solutions and resources will come from outside of the individual or community. It says, you're poor, you can't do it, the solution is going to come from outside of you. It, put, it sets them up for expecting something to be brought in to save them, which is exactly what we want to get away from. What needs-based development fails to do is to identify 
and to mobilize the assets of a person or a community. What's the goal? The goal is restoration. The goal is for people to have a sense that they're made in the image of God. He has blessed them with gifts, all kinds of gifts, physical resources, social resources, spiritual resources, and to get them to start to steward those resources and develop those resources more effectively. That's the goal. So by starting off by saying, I don't know what you got, but I know what I've got over here that I can use to fix you, what do you need? Doesn't start off with where you want to go. It starts off on the wrong foot. And so in needs-based development, we're ignoring the assets that are already there. Asset-based development starts off with what's right. It focuses on the capabilities, skills, and resources of the individual or community. Oh, I think it was about 12 years ago, I was in a Sunday school class at my church, and I was, it, was a, it was a Sunday school class on working with the poor in our community and how to do it. And I was told to go out and engage in an activity called asset mapping. It's a fancy word for basically asking people to list their gifts and, and abilities. And I thought it was the stupidest thing I ever heard of. And I was supposed to go door to door in a ghetto in the city in which I live. In the city in which I live, there are significant racial tensions. I was supposed to go into a ghetto uh, full of African-American households. I was supposed to go as a six foot ten white guy on a Sunday morning, knock on doors, and say, hello, I'm from uh, this church called New City Fellowship. I'm from New City Fellowship, and I'm here today to love uh, my community. What gifts and resources and abilities do you have? Now, it turns out this isn't the best way to do this, but, 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 um, but off we went. I pretty much wanted to die. There was a class down the hall on the fine points of theology. I'm thinking to myself, why didn't I go to that class? So off we go. 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Now, anybody who answers the door is not in church, so it's kind of a selected sample. So, knock on the door, a lady comes to the door, she's about five foot tall, an African-American lady at my navel. And I'm looking down at her as non-paternalistically as I possibly can. And she's looking up at me. Now, now, now the scene itself was just bizarre. So African-American lady at my navel looking up at me, I'm this giant, you know. I'm going, oh dear Jesus, just beam me up right now. <laughs> I said, ma'am, I'm from New City Fellowship. I'm here today to love my community. What gifts and abilities has God given you? And she looks up at me and she goes, what? I said, what gifts and abilities has God given you? And she said, what? And then from behind her, in her apartment, in a housing project in a ghetto, from behind her comes a voice. She can cook chitlins like there's no tomorrow. Huh. I looked at the lady and I said, ma'am, is that true? And she's kind of got a little smile on her face. And she said, I'm a pretty good cook. She said, why don't you come on inside? I want to talk to you some more. <laughs> right. So we went inside. She called all the people in the house together. We're all sitting on couches. I didn't know what to do next. So I just reverted to my script. I'm here from New City Fellowship today. I'm here to love my community. What gifts and abilities has God given all of you? 
I, I wasn't sure what's going to happen next. One guy says, well, that guy over there, his name is Jake. He can fix bikes like nothing you've ever seen before. I've never seen anybody like this guy. He can fix bikes. And Jake goes, I, I, I am pretty good at bikes, but Hal over there, he's an auto mechanic. If your car is ever, ever, ever having trouble, Hal's your guy. He can fix your car. They spent 20 minutes bragging about each other. I started to notice something. They started to sit a little straighter in their seats. They started to kind of have a little sense of they were somebody. I looked back at the first lady, I said to her, I said, I said, ma'am, what, what are your dreams? What are your gifts? I've asked her, and I'm asking her, what are your dreams? She said, dreams? I said, yeah. And she said, well, I've never really told anybody this before. I said, okay, but we're connecting. She said, my dream has always been to have my own uh, cooking business, my own uh, catering business. I said, what prevents you from achieving those dreams? She said, I don't really know. She said, I, I guess what it comes down to, she said, I know how to cook, but there's kind of a business part of it. I don't know how to do it. She said, I think they call it a business plan. She said, I don't know how to write a business plan. I think I need somebody to help me write a business plan. I said, well, what if I had some folks from my church come who know business, it can help you develop your business ideas. You can use your gifts to fulfill your dreams. She goes, I love that. Asking the question, asking the question, is poverty alleviation? Now folks, I'm not saying this is the end of the story. I'm not saying you never bring outside resources. I'm simply saying the starting point is to focus on gifts and abilities that they already have. So we're going to pick up where we left off last time. Got a few different odds and ends of things to do. Okay, this is a, what section are we in now? The role of participation in community development, right? It's the process you want to focus on, not the product. Now, we might cr create what's successful from our perspective since we're donors, but way more important is for the community members and the households involved that they can say, yes, this worked for us. This savings group thing we did, it was worth it. That was a good thing for us. Whether you come back and say that savings group was okay, but, but, and you got to listen to that but. So they've got to be part of the funding success, and then you have to be able to respond to that. Does it make sense? So it's a step further where they're really at the table all the way through. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they're speaking into, was this successful or not? If you're working in a community where there's poverty, then you need to be looking at who else is addressing this in our community. What are those different groups and peoples and how can we work with them and what they're already trying to do or what might we add to the mix? And if you're outside that community, even more so, you need to ask who's working there, who's doing good work, and what does it mean to come alongside them to help them succeed? It's not about us running in and doing something new necessarily. It's saying what's already there, what's God's already doing, how do we kind of jump on board and saying, I'm going to be faithful to stand with you as you do God's work for that community. An asset-based approach is one where you really approach a community or approach your target group with the sense that they have things to offer.
that have impediments here in work that God has given them. They have experiences that you don't have. And so while you may be bringing some new technical knowledge to them, you are going to sit in the space with them and be a learner alongside of them. When you come, when you live in a place where people's lives are static and stable, um, with just limited issues, then oftentimes you're messing, uh, you're actually creating harm. You're harming the development process or you're harming the people within there. Oftentimes that outside resource never helps people to see their own assets. It blinds them to see the assets that they have so that they can be able to use those assets for much. And remember that the use of local resources is what brings in sustainability. Let outside resource, outside ideas, outside help only come to supplement what will exist, but not to replace it. People who are poor themselves as households and communities, their voice um, and their involvement is the essence of what development is. So participation is core. It's often been said it's the engine of development. It's what creates ownership of what's being done, and out of that ownership that creates enthusiasm. Let's get this done because it's ours. It's our idea. If you want to make sure that the well is used, if you want to make sure the tractor is used, if you want to make sure the malaria nets are used, you have to use a participatory approach. You've got to get people to engage in the process because if people own the thing, it'll work better. And that is true. But our message to you today is that participation isn't just a means to getting tractor used. Participation isn't just a means to making sure the well is taken care of, but rather that having people participate in stewarding their gifts and resources, having people participate in the planning of how to use those resources, having people execute is a valid end in its own right. And so participation is not just a means to an end, but a valid end in its own right. So asset-based community development, that's uh, kind of the concept that we're talking about here. So instead of going into a community and saying, what's wrong with you? What are you lacking? What do you need? going into a community and saying, what do you have? What are you good at? What, what can you provide? And then later on in the process, as this conversation is happening, you're going to see opportunities where we might have resources, we might have our own assets that we can provide to complement what's already going on. But if the ownership is not already there, and we're just providing resources, basically what we're doing is relief. And relief can cause so much damage to the developmental process if there's not a need for relief. That's what the uh, little, this thing. If, if there's no crisis, that little electric bolt thing, if there's no crisis and you start providing relief, then you end up actually following 
uh, <laughs> you're, you're actually creating a crisis in, in many cases because the message that you communicate is that you don't have what it takes. You don't have what's necessary to get yourself out of this situation, that you have to rely on something from the outside. And so that's why um, that's why I want to pro propose this concept of asset-based community development. It's also nice because it's A, B, C, D, so that's really easy to remember. Um, but the, I mean, the fundamental idea is, is that everybody has gifts, everybody has someone, something to contribute, and then everyone cares about something, and that passion is, is his or her motivation to act. So I'm going to kind of open up the floor, you know, what do you guys think? Does this stuff make sense? Do you have questions? Uh, that sort of thing. Where, 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 where do you start when um, <clears throat> where you have a man like you discussed on week two that was kind of ostracized and didn't have a connection and with the homeless in the springs where mm -hmm. uh, you have the Marion House, the Mercy's Gate, Springs, Springs Mission. Um, how, how, how do you connect there, there because they don't have even the basic, their basic needs met, which is food and shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that um, Brian was talking about is, you know, asking the questions. It, a lot of it is just you, a lot of times there's an underlying problem that's not about not having food or not having shelter. There's something underlying. And when we, Eddie and I went to, to Mercy's Gate on Monday night. And one of the things I really liked about what they do is they have, they have a lot of people with a lot of needs that are coming in. Um, but before they do any sort of major <coughs> assistance, they go through some sort of, you know, counseling. You know, and I, like I, I wasn't able to sit in on, you know, any of the meetings or anything like that. But what I would assume is those people are probably trained at some level to be looking for what are these underlying issues that are causing them to have a lack of food, to have a lack of shelter. And okay, maybe we'll, we'll help them with rent this month, but they only get that once a year. The issue is not helping them with rent. The issue is figuring out what is that underlying solution and finding a way that they can have the capacity to, um, to manage that and, and walking alongside them to help them do that. There's a lot of mentoring that goes yeah. on at Mercy's Mm-hmm. And so that's that's very important. Um, and the but the mentoring, if it's going to be effective, means asking a lot of questions and um, really trying to understand these underlying issues, whatever they might be. And they're not always going to be what you expect. I'm kind of excited. Um, 
to go to my next Mercy's Gate because I'm going to try that <laughs> about what what gifts has God given you. Mm-hmm. And then I also ask them what their dreams are. Usually yeah. I talk to them and about starting out with non yeah. uh, just chit-chat. Yeah. And then um, they open up and tell me what's going on, why they're there. Yeah. But I like that it's it's true and it's it's very easy to get into the you know what are the things you're struggling with what you know how is life hard you know and that's you know maybe maybe it's good to talk about that at some level but it might be just even more effective to help them realize you know what yeah and that they do have uh potential they have they have the capacity to to do something great, we all do. Um, there's a I don't know years ago that I'm dating myself. That you know Yanni live at the Acropolis. Has anyone listened to that Yanni? One of the one of the quotes he has in there. He only says like one thing, but he says something that everything great that's ever happened to humanity started with a single thought and that we are all capable of such a thing because we're all the same. Um, and, and that's so true. Like, there's, uh, w- we all have the ability to, um, to change our world, the, to change the world, the community around us. And we may not realize that, but asset-based community development approach is something that helps people realize their potential. Um, I don't know if you have much experience with this, but it seems like there's that micro lending has become kind mm-hmm. of a big deal in the past. I don't know, mm-hmm. five years or maybe longer. It's yeah, about it's ten about, years. Okay. Yeah. At, in general, what are how you feel about that? It, it's changed a little bit over the past um, decade or so, or at least in, in a lot of the research and stuff that's been done, um, from a model where um, you know Americans or you know people from the West loan money to somebody in a uh, developing context, um, and they've seen a lot of fruit from it, um, but. A lot of a lot of the micro lending type approaches. He kind of alluded to it in one of uh, Brian in, in his talk. Um, are moving towards. I I don't quite understand it. I'm reading a book about it right now. Um, <coughs> a, a concept where the community itself collects resources and then loans it out to people within that community. And they're finding that has huge potential. One, because people within their own community have the incentive to you know, pay back their loans um, because they're basically borrowing it from their neighbors. And you know, I, I really don't know much about it. I'm, I'm, I'm reading a book about it now, but um, I haven't gotten past the theology part. I'm kind of getting into the, um, the so 
I might be able to tell you more next week, but yeah. Completely different from this, but how does World Bible School fit into this uh, program? Um, World Bible School, I'd have to think about that. One of the things that um, Were you thinking maybe I'll give a, a, a yeah. thought on that? Okay, go ahead. Give a better one. World Bible School doesn't say, here it is, here's their answers. World Bible School, my understanding is helping a person walk through the journey of yeah. self learning, discovering, writing down the answers. And so it's not just saying, here's the situation, but it's helping them kind of discover it. So they're right. participating in that process. Right, and yeah, it's something you do side by side, in a sense, with, um, like, in World Bible School, we've tried to move away from the language of student and teacher to more, you know, up the, maybe we might say still say student, but Bible study helper is what we call the teachers now, because... We're not really necessarily teaching. We're we're walking with someone as they study scripture, and we're there to to help them if they have questions or uh, whatever they might you know if they have questions or concerns, thoughts, don't understand something. Um, and boy, I've had some questions from some students that I just didn't know how to answer, and I just said I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> Um, and you know, but that's okay because it's it's a process that we're doing together. It's 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 relational. How many students do you have? I've had about two thousand students online. Um, of those, probably about fifty who were um, fairly serious. Um, I haven't done paper students, and actually, I mailed out my first like paper lesson last week in probably 20 years. <laughs> Most of the students that I've had are online in either Angola, Namibia. I've had a couple students here in Colorado Springs and I've got about five students in Springfield, well around Springfield, Virginia right now. So, But that's all online. Something about 
God understands our role in this. That He wants us to have a participatory role. And even even those gifts you talked about in First Corinthians, the Holy Spirit alone can do all of that. Right. But He gives us the gifts so that we participate in that. Yeah. So there seems to be a, a parallel, though. This is not just this right <coughs> now here creating this idea. But it's yeah. Perhaps it's the very nature of God with man. Yeah. And going back to to First Corinthians twelve, you know, one of the things that I try to remind myself in in ministry in Angola or in Namibia, wherever I've been, is that people do have gifts. Um, there's there's some there's some gifts that I feel like I have that kind of are better than. <laughs> <laughs> then that's the way I feel. Like I could do it better than they could. Um, I, I'm probably wrong in that, but that's kind of how I feel sometimes. But reminding myself that it's it's better for me to empower them in whatever gifts that they have, because really the truth is they probably can do it a whole lot better than I can. Um, I might not be able to see their potential or to see how much potential they actually have sometimes. And I, you know, it's, I have to remind myself to humble myself and let uh, the spirit work in other people sometimes. I, I, I like to think I do a pretty good job at that, but I don't, <laughs> I don't so, always. So remember that you don't do your daughter's homework for Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's uh, 7.30 now. Um, Jeff, would you be willing to lead us in a closing prayer? Father, we come before you humbly. Uh, we just thank you so much for, for Nathan blessing these brought to us. And Father, uh, you've shown us that you came down to this earth and you walked with us. And you helped us to realize the assets that we have that you've given us through your spirit. And Lord Jesus, you walked with us in the road to the And we just didn't realize that it was you guiding us. We just ask that, that we can be like Jesus, that we can walk with others, that we can, that we can open our eyes and see have them tell us what they need, <coughs> what they want, what their dreams are. And that we can help them to fulfill that, not fulfill it for them. And Father, may we also take these, these tenets of uh, of lesson and may we apply them to our lives too. And realize, Father, that we have assets that you've given us and you're walking with us. And to realize our assets and what we can do for you. May we always please you, Father and glorify your name. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.